Have you ever purchased something for a, a project uh, at, at home or, or maybe something you were putting together or building and when you got home you realized that you didn't have everything that you needed to complete the task? Anybody ever do that before? I, I don't know how many times I, I've done that. Look, you, you need a hammer and you need nails. You need a tire and a wheel. You need headphones and a dongle if you want to listen to music on your iPhone. Probably all of us have been in a situation or experience where we got a brand new present on Christmas morning only to find out that we didn't have the right batteries to make it work. By the way, Christmas is uh, 115 days away. If you're counting, just I'd let you know so you can start saving. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of times in our lives when what we have isn't all that we need. But that is not true about faith. Last week, Nasser kicked off our series on Colossians by painting a beautiful picture of the whole Bible and how it's all tied in to Jesus. Today, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2 and two specific traps that Christians fall into. But before we get to chapter 2, I want to go back to chapter 1 for just a moment and kind of sum up what Nasher shared last week. By the way, fabulous, fabulous guy. Uh, an incredible message that he shared last week. Um, I hope you go online and watch it. Um, and I, it, it was just, uh, it was amazing. Perfectly put the whole Bible together. But I want to go back and, and talk uh, from chapter 1 because more than anything this morning, I want you to see Jesus and hear Jesus. So let's jump in to chapter 1 of Colossians. There are a lot of personal pronouns in, in these few verses that I'm going to read. So I'm going to say Jesus where it's appropriate, okay? Here's what it says. Paul writes this. The Son... He's talking about God's son, Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things that are visible and things that are invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. Now, I want to stop right there in the middle of what we're going to read, because I look at this ver these few verses and go, that's the Old Testament. Like Paul just summed up the Old Testament in those few verses about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Okay, we couldn't see God anymore after creation, but Jesus is the image of him. He's the firstborn over everything. In Jesus, everything is created. Everything is held together. It's the Old Testament from creation in Genesis to the recreation after the flood. Every king, every priest, every prophet, every power, every authority is in the Old Testament listed out. And he says Jesus is before all of this. And he's actually the one holding it all together. Now, if you're a Jew and you looked at the Old Testament, you'd go, yeah, um, it was a pretty rocky time. 
Like we were waiting for the Messiah and He wasn't coming. We kept thinking, here He is or there He is. And it just wasn't and it never worked out. And it was really kind of just tenuously held together. But Paul is saying, look, Jesus is the one that hold all of this stuff together that we weren't really sure it was going to work out. Now look what he says beginning in verse 18. He switches gears. He says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Where did the church come in? It wasn't until after the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? And so now he's talking maybe about the New Testament. And he says, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. He talked about birth and life in the first section. Now he's talking about this death, this death that happened in Jesus. So that in everything, Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. And then through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. So in the Old Testament, Jesus held everything together. In the New Testament, Jesus reconciles all things on earth with all things in heaven. Jesus brings heaven and earth together like it was in the beginning when God and man were together in a perfect and sinless world. Jesus does that, Paul says, through his sacrifice on the cross. Now we're going to come back to verse 16 at the end of the message this morning, but I want to go on and get into the rest of chapter 2. Do you remember in grade school, maybe later years in grade school, certainly in middle school or high school, studying Greek mythology. Anybody remember Greek mythology? We talk about Zeus and Apollo and, and the little guy with the wings on his feet and all those crazy uh, people. I don't know why we were um, so enamored with the Greeks and with mythology and with um, Plato and Aristotle and all of that stuff. I did a little research this week. Let me just say, those dudes were crazy. I'm t- okay, I wasn't going to say this, but uh, you can handle it. There was this Greek dude named Pythagoras. Maybe you've heard of him. He came up with the Pythagorean theorem. Make sure I get this right, DJ, uh, the engineer. Uh, Pythagorean theorem, right? And the Pythagorean theorem says that the um, hypotenuse of an angle... The square of the area of the hypotenuse, which is opposite of the right angle part, okay, is the same surface area as the other two squares of the two sides outside of the triangle, which basically means absolutely nothing. Because nobody cares what the square space outside the triangle is. Because you want to know what the angle of the triangle is, right? You want to know what's going on in there. Nobody cares about what's outside of that. And even if you did happen, DJ, to care about the squares outside of the triangle that you're actually trying to figure out, what about all the space that's not in the squares? Ooh. Now, That's all math stuff. Nobody cares about math. But Pythagoras actually believed that numbers were gods. That each number represented an angel. 
And he created a whole school where he taught people how to worship the God of numbers. And he made them pray a prayer that's absolutely ridiculous in order to be a part of his school. He also believed, by the way, that beans were evil. In case you wonder. And men represented odd numbers, while women represented even numbers. No idea why that's important, but that's the kind of stuff he taught his students. I don't know why we studied those dead Greek guys, because they were crazy. Read a little bit about some of the ridiculous theories that Plato, Aristotle, and all of those other guys had. Nut jobs. Okay, anyway. The reason we talk about the Greeks this morning is that they um, kind of had this weird thing, which a lot of the people groups in that time did. They worshipped and offered sacrifices to a whole lot of different gods. And so here's what would happen in the nations that weren't um, Israel, weren't the Jewish nation. Okay, so Egypt and uh, Greece, Rome, and uh, Babylon, Persia, and all that kind of stuff. Here's what they did. If they saw something that could provide uh, benefit to them in some way, they figured that there must be someone or something controlling that, and so they didn't want to make that person angry, and so they worshipped or they sacrificed to that God, all right? So um, one day, some Greek dude gets up in the morning, and he sees the sun go across the sky, and he realizes that the sun provides heat and warmth for them to live, and it helps things to grow. And so they went, oh man, well there must be somebody in control of the sun, and we don't want to make that somebody mad, so let's worship him. Let's honor him. Let's pay tribute to him. Let's give him stuff so that he keeps making the sun shine and keeps growing our crops. They did the same thing for lightning. They did it for water. They did it for soil. They did it for fertility. They did it for um, prosperity. There were gods that they would worship because they believed there was somebody controlling who got rich and who stayed poor. And so if you worshiped the God who could make you rich, then he might make you rich too. And so you would do that or you'd worship the God that maybe would give you babies. And so everything that could give you something was a God and they would worship that God. But that's not what the Jews believe. Right? The Jews were completely different from every other people group at the time because the Jews worshipped only one God. In fact, people thought that the Jews were absolutely crazy. How can you worship only one God? You're going to make all the other gods mad. The Jews worshipped one God, but that one God had a lot of rules. And so... Instead of worshiping a lot of gods, they continued to worship the one God, but they got so taken with following the rules that they actually became a religion of rituals. And so they kind of forgot about God and what God had promised and what God said about himself, and they decided that the most important thing to God is that they simply obey all the rules. So they were very careful about how they grew their hair, about the kind of clothes that they would wear and the, the tassels that they would have on. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about um, the phylacteries. 
And a phylactery was a little box that they would put Scripture in. And the Bible talks about how we should keep Scripture in front of our minds, that we should put it on like our foreheads, so we should be part of our daily lives, that it should, we should see it on our hands. And so they took these little boxes, and they wrote Scriptures on them, and they filled them up, and they put them in the box, and then they'd tie that box to their foreheads, or they'd tie it around the back of their hands, and they'd go around. And Jesus says, you people are going around, and you make your phylacteries wide, the little boxes on your forehead you make them real big so that everybody knows how spiritual you are but you've forgotten about me like you follow all the rules but you've forgotten that those rules are supposed to point you to me they put so much energy and effort into following the rules and the letter of the law that they actually forgot why they were doing any of it now all of that stuff about the greeks and the jews is important Because of what happens in the city of Colossae about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Colossae is up in modern day Turkey. And it's a little ways away from what is the more well-known city of Ephesus, which is just to its west a little bit. It's, It's kind of like El Dorado to Kansas City. So the people of Colossae might go to Ephesus because that was kind of the regional hub for trade and for commerce and anything that you wanted, you would go to Ephesus and you could get it and you'd come back to your hometown, kind of like us driving up to Kansas City. Well, there was a guy who was from Colossae and he made a trip to Ephesus and while he was there, he happened to overhear the apostle Paul. Remember, Paul was that guy who terrorized Christians when he was a Jewish leader, and then he met Jesus, and he became an evangelist and started sharing about Jesus. So Paul, during one of his missionary journeys, was in Ephesus, and he stayed there for about three years. And sometime during those three years, about the late middle of uh, the 50s, that's aught, aught 50, okay, not jitterbug and stuff in phone booths, 50s, from the 1950s, odd, odd 50, okay? So he was there, and he was teaching, and he was preaching. Epaphras comes from Colossae, and he goes to Ephesus, and he happens to hear Paul talking about this guy named Jesus, who claimed that he was the Messiah, and that he would die and raise, uh, be raised back from the dead three days later, and that's exactly what happened. Well, Epaphras, while he was in Ephesus, he he kept going and listening to Paul, and, and we don't know how long he was there, but he was so taken by this message about Jesus that he gave his life to Christ, and then he had to go back to Colossae. And when he got there, he began telling his friends about this Jesus who was the Messiah. And so the people who he told, who were in Colossae, began to believe in Jesus as well. And some of them were Greeks. And they came to know Jesus, and they wanted to follow Jesus. And some of them were Jewish people, were Hebrews, and they came to know and believe in Jesus. You see what's happening here? And the Greeks brought all of their polytheistic ideas, worshiping lots of gods, into the worship of Jesus. And the Jews brought all of their ritualistic worship of God into the worship of Jesus. And so what happens was, the Greeks and the Jews both said that they had the secret to Jesus. 
And if you really wanted to be a Christian, if you really wanted to know the deeper truths about Jesus, you had to add either reason, if you were a Greek, or rituals, if you were a Jew, and then you'd get Jesus and reason, or Jesus and rituals, and that's how you got a more fuller understanding of God and who He is and what He wants. About seven years later, Epaphras finds out that Paul is in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome. And so Epaphras makes the journey all the way from Colossae to Rome. And he gets to Paul and he says, Paul, hey, look, I came to know Jesus when you were preaching in Ephesus. And uh, I went back to my hometown and I started, I started preaching about Jesus and I just couldn't keep it in. And I told all my friends about him and they all came to know him. And, and, and pretty soon we had a church there and all of a sudden I was the preacher and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just telling them about Jesus and what I'd heard from you. And we just kind of went over the same stuff over and over again. But these Greeks came in and they started saying that it was Jesus and reason. And that's how we got to God. And then the Jews came in and they said it was Jesus and rituals and that's how we got to God and I don't know what to do anymore because Jesus has been deluded by all of this other stuff and so Paul goes well we're going to fix that up real quick right Paul was a get her done kind of guy so he writes a letter to the church in Colossae a church that he'd never been in before he writes this letter he gives it to one of his companions named, named Tychicus and Tychicus goes back with a... They're weird names. Um, you're welcome to use any of them for your next child. Um, he goes back to Colossae, right, with this letter from Paul. And this letter then is read in the church dealing with these people who believed it was Jesus and something else that got you to God. So Paul opens up chapter 2 of Colossians like this. He explains the reason he's writing the letter in the opening verses of chapter 2. And he actually says very plainly, in fact, it's right there, this is my goal. It's nice when people say that up front, right? This is my goal. I want you today to hear from Jesus and see Jesus. Paul had kind of the same goal. He says, my goal is that they, okay, he's talking about people I've never met before. All of the Christian body, the body of Christ that I have personally never met, and that's what he's, when he's, the word they appears, that's who he's talking to. But let's make it personal today. He says, my goal is that you, whether the church in Colossae or us here at Real Life, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God who is Jesus. In whom, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So right off the bat, he's going to the Greeks and to the Jews. He's going, hey, look, I, you need to know this right off the My goal is that you would see Jesus and only Jesus. Because in Jesus, all this other stuff is hidden in him. So, as I was working on this series, I really hesitated to use the, the, to title it the way we titled it, Christ Alone. 
And I wondered about titling it Christ alone because I thought there may be some people in real life who don't know who Christ is or don't understand that Jesus and Christ are the same person. There might be some people in real life who think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Corey Landreth, Jesus Christ. It sounds right. And unless you were told, that's what you'd think, right? Jesus Christ, that's his name. Like it's Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and his brother James Christ. Like that's just who they are. But that's not true at all. Jesus was the name the angel gave to Mary and Joseph. Remember, the angel announced Jesus' birth, and he went to each of them um, before the fact, and he says, you're going to give birth, Mary's going to give birth, and you're to name the child that she bores, bears, Jesus. Now, Jesus is, um, uh, 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 in the Greek, is Christos, and Christos, or Jesus, means anointed or anointed one. It also can be translated Yeshua or Joshua, Okay, and, and I don't know why it is that way, but just the way the Greek and the Hebrew line up, it could be either, um, either, either one, but um, it, it means, I think I said that wrong. Yes, Yeshua or Joshua. In Hebrew, it means salvation. Jesus, the word Yeshua, Joshua, means salvation, or salvation comes from God, or God saves. When Jesus is riding in Jerusalem on the donkey, the people are all shouting, God saves. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is this idea, his name Jesus means God saves or salvation. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's his title, Christos in the Greek. And it means anointed or anointed one. It's the same Hebrew word as Messiah. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus is his given name, Christ is his title, he is the Messiah. He is um, God's salvation, the anointed one, or God saves through or by the anointed one. See how those work together? Okay. So Jesus Christ is God saves through his anointed one. Or if you reverse it, Christ Jesus, you'd say the anointed one saves. Are we clear on that? Okay. So when we talk about Christ, we're talking about Jesus. They're the same person. Then the rest of chapter 2, Paul addresses two specific traps that the church in Colossae had fallen into. Verse 8. He says, all right, he's getting into specifics here. He says, okay, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You see where that ties into what the Greeks were saying? It's reason, it's understanding, it's elemental truths. Those, this philosophy of people depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So again, Paul is saying, look, Everything that is God is contained in Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the deity. 
It's not Jesus and your reason. It's not Jesus and water or sun or dirt or whatever. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the fullness of God. Paul wants to make sure that the church understands that Jesus is greater than any man-made reason or elemental power. Now, if you're on social media, you probably see lots of things by people who talk a lot about elemental um, forces and the power of elemental things. You ever known anybody who um, does a lot with crystals? They buy crystals, they wear crystals, they worship crystal, whatever. It's crystal, crystal, everything. Crystals have power and crystals have stuff in them. No, they're rocks. In case you wondered, they're, they're rocks. They don't have special stuff in them. They're not magical. They don't do anything special for you. It's a clear rock that looks cool. You can wear it if you want to, but it's not God and it doesn't get you to God. But there's a lot of people who, who are talking about, oh, the dirt in the ground and it's fertile and we got to worship that and we got to worship the water and we got to worship the air and we got to worship um, maybe CBD or uh, back a while ago it was tea tree oil or any oil now. And there are a lot of people who worship oils. Now I'm not against oil, okay? And I'm not against using CBD. If God made something that is good for us and you can get it without all the junk, um, then use it. If it helps you, use it. But you're not going to use that stuff and get any closer to God. Crystals don't protect you from spiritual forces. They might open the door to them, but they don't protect you from them. And oil doesn't protect you and it doesn't bring you salvation, but it can help you with headaches and going to sleep and I don't know, all kinds of stuff, a little peppermint, whatever, you smell good, that's all fine. But it's not God. And it doesn't get you to God. So if you discover that you're always talking about oils, or you're always talking about the Marvel um, universe, or you're always talking about muscle cars, or football, or fishing, and you never talk about Jesus, there might be a problem with your priorities. Try to follow, trying to follow every God won't get you closer to the one true God. That's what he's saying. Then he goes on to say a few verses later, 16. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so if you're simply following the law, you're honoring days like Sunday. Oh, it's Sunday I go to church. But you're not connecting with Jesus, then there's a problem there. You haven't gained anything. Because following the commands won't get you any closer to Christ. You're not going to get to heaven and go, look, God, I attended church every Sunday. When the preacher told me to, I put a little money in the offering plate. I, one time, I even helped serve at this dinner or parked a car for somebody, helped old lady cross the street. Whatever it is, you're not going to get to heaven and go, God, you have to let me in because I obeyed all the stuff you said. Because he's going to go, did you know my son Jesus? Did you know him? Because if you didn't know him, all of that other stuff that you did isn't enough. The point Paul is trying to make here is that it's not Christ and. It's Christ alone. Now I told you we'd circle back to chapter 1 verse 16. Here's what that says. 
In Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now there are two philosophical, existential reason questions that people ask most. Christians and non-Christians, Hindus and Muslims, agnostics and atheists. How did I get here and why am I here? Did you ever ask that question? How did, I, how did I get here? Like, I know mom and dad, but like, how did we get here? And why am I specifically here? We might say like this, what's my purpose? What am I here for? Why am I here? These two questions haunt people probably more than any others. And so I want to clear it up a little bit this morning. Because you are part of all things that Paul's talking about in this verse. All things have been created. You're part of that. And so am I. And, and so I, I don't, I don't want to be so bold as to oversimplify what's being said here, but, but let's, let's make it personal this morning, okay? Um, Lisa, can I pick you up? Lisa... <laughs> You just sit there, okay? You don't have to do anything. Lisa, you were created by Jesus. And Lisa, you were created for Jesus. Lance, you were created by Jesus. You were created for Jesus. We could go, we could go around the whole room. Adam, you were created by Jesus. You were created for Jesus. Look, each and every one of us was uniquely created and wonderfully made by a God who loves you to your core. And yes, he knows every stupid thing you've ever done. Every evil thought you've ever had. Everything you've ever even thought about doing but didn't do but really wanted to do but said, no, I'm not going to do it. He knows all that stuff. He knows what you said yesterday. He knows what you did last week. He knows what you're going to do. He knows that sometimes you don't walk in the faith that you really wish you could. He knows that, that sometimes you're not even sure if who he is is really who he claims to be. Sometimes you go, like maybe in the dark and, and you're laying in bed and nobody else around you just go, God, are you even real? He knows when you have those thoughts. And He still loves you more than you can imagine. He created you to be in relationship with Him. And you will never find fulfillment in your life. You'll never find purpose. You'll never be whole in your life until you know Jesus. Not Jesus and, but Jesus alone. Because Jesus is all sufficient for you. He is all you need. He is more than you could ever want. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first 
and the last. You were created by Jesus and you were created for Jesus. And and I think maybe this morning that that some of you don't really believe that yet. And, and, And maybe if you heard yourself say it, maybe if you heard it with your own ears, you'd finally begin to believe And all of this junk that you've been carrying, thinking, Jesus doesn't want me, Jesus can't use me, Jesus couldn't love me, maybe all of that will just fall away and you'll see Him and you'll hear Him clearly this morning. So we're going to say this together, okay? Like we believe it, All right, We're going to say it together. I was created by Jesus. Say it with me. I was created by Jesus. I was created for Jesus. I was created for Jesus. Let's do them both together. I was created by Jesus. I was created for Jesus. I don't think you believe it yet. Let's say it one more time. I was created by Jesus. I was created for Jesus. You were created for Jesus. You were created by Jesus. So that you could experience life with Jesus. And that's what this series and this book in Colossians is all about. And so here it is, the gospel in Colossians chapter 2. It kicks off in verse 6. No, it kicks off in verse 2. You and me, a mere human, can know God if you know Jesus. Now, that's profound, right? Throughout all of history, everybody has wanted to know God, but nobody has. And we make up all kinds of story about what Zeus and Aphrodite and Hermes and all these people, what they want, but they've never talked to us, so we don't really know. And Paul comes along and he says, look, you can know God if you know Jesus, because Jesus said, I and the Father, we're one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're together. We're bros. We get it. We're on the same page. If you've talked to me, you've talked to God. And so Paul says, you can know God if you know Jesus. In verse 6, he can say, he says, that knowledge of God through Jesus, through that relationship, you can have life. And he says this life is a life of of thanksgiving. It's not an empty life. It's not a hollow life. It's a life of thanksgiving. And you can have that life in Him, in Jesus. We might say through Jesus. In verse 10, he says that this isn't a regular life, but it's a full life. Here, we would call it real life. You can know God, and through Jesus you can know God. You can have life through Jesus, and you can have a full life through Jesus. Verse 12, he says, if you've been buried with Jesus in baptism and raised with Jesus through faith. See, once you've died to sin, he says in 13, God resurrects you so that you are alive with Christ, which means your sin is forgiven. 
Your debt is canceled. The forces of evil no longer have mastery over you. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You don't have to give in to that old junk anymore. You don't have to follow those same addictions anymore. You don't have to go after the same guy or the same girl anymore. You don't have to live the same kind of life anymore because you can have a full life through Jesus when you get to know God. You can be alive with Christ. If, verse 20 says, you have died with Christ to the spiritual forces of this world, to reason and ritual. Can I just say that Jesus doesn't make any sense? If we tried to reason him out, we wouldn't get very far. Because it doesn't make sense. Nasser talked about it last week. This perfect, holy, incredible, creative, awesome, mighty, powerful God looked at us and said, they will never get it right. But I'm going to love them and save them and give my son for them anyway. That's incredible. And not a single one of us in this room would ever do that. What do we do? We go, you're lost. (laughs) I can't do anything with you. But that's not what God did. He said, if you can't do it, and you can't, and I know you can't because I created you. I know you're evil. Your heart is evil all of the time. And he said, so, so I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to send my son. And through my son Jesus, you can know me. And you can have life in me. And that life will be a full life. It'll be overflowing. You'll be alive with Christ because you've died to the spiritual forces of the, the world Because, verse 23 says, look, those spiritual forces of the world, reason and ritual, they don't keep you from sinning anyway. So here's the bottom line. Real life isn't found in philosophical reason. And it's not found in dead rituals. Real life is found in relationship with with Jesus. It's not Christ and, it's Christ alone. And look, Jesus Christ, he doesn't confuse. He clarifies. And so if someone is confusing you with a bunch of spiritual mumbo jumbo, and they're talking to you about all these new things they've learned, or this new revelation, or whatever, and you're going, this doesn't make sense, I'm telling you that you should be skeptical of that, because it's full of reason, and it's full of ritual, and it's not about a relationship with Jesus. The gospel is simple. It's Christ alone. Today, Jesus is what you need. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad year. Maybe you've had a bad 10 years. I don't know. Maybe your marriage is bad. Maybe your kids are bad. Maybe your job is bad. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know what you need. You need Jesus. Jesus is all you need. And, and it doesn't mean that when you, when you finally say, okay, 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 I get it, I get it, I'm good. It doesn't mean that, that what's going to happen, doesn't mean that what's going to happen is that God's going to take care of all of those things. He's going to take them away. 
But it means that everywhere you go and everything you do and every place you walk, Jesus is going to be with you. So today, if you need Jesus and you still haven't accepted Him, you, you never said to anybody, I believe in Jesus. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. I want you to head back to the Connection Hub right now. We've got some folks back there who are going to ask you three questions. Are you accepting Jesus for the first time? Are you rededicating your life to Him? Or are you ready to be obedient in baptism? And if you come to a place in your life right now where you're going, look, I, I, like I've been coming to church maybe or whatever, but I've never taken that step. I've never told anybody that I believe or that I'm ready to accept Jesus. If that's you, if you need Jesus this morning, you go back there. And you don't worry about what anybody else is doing or what anybody else is saying because I'll guarantee you what's going on through every other person's mind here. They're going, that is awesome because we want you to experience the real life that only comes through a relationship with Jesus or maybe you're a person who's just like you're like man I really want to get up and go back there but nobody else is standing and if I stand up people see me and they're going to think and they're going to what, what, and I just oh it's just too much it's too much out of my comfort zone if that's you look we got you covered. Because they're going to ask you the same questions back there that we're going to ask you on our website. If you go to reallifecc.us forward slash I'm ready, the link up on the screen, there's those three questions and there's a form at the bottom. Fill that out because somebody needs to know that you're ready to step out with Jesus. Christianity is not something you can do in a vacuum. It's not something that you can do alone. You've got to tell people. Look, I believe that God is about to do something here in El Dorado that he may not have ever done before. I, I don't know, or maybe this hasn't happened in a long time. We're about to see God do what only God can do. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure what that is, but I'm sure of this, that Satan is on the march. That means that we need to stand firm in faith because we're going to see God fight for us. And so we need to hold on to Jesus. We need to point to Jesus. We need to pray to Jesus. We need to give to Jesus. We need to serve Jesus. We need to trust Jesus. We need to look more like Jesus so that more people can find Jesus. Because it's not Christ and, it's Christ alone. Because He's got you. He's got us. He's got this. Because He's got it all. And that's why we worship Him. That's why we sing to Him. That's why we serve Him. That's why we give to Him. So that every person possible can find real life in Him. Because He is holy. And He is mighty. And He is awesome. He's the King of kings. And He's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. There is nothing before Him. There is nothing greater than Him. There is nothing that you can find or have beside Him. He is 
Jesus. You are holy in this place. You are worthy of my praise and we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. You're the king of 